Well, 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 there we go. Good morning to everyone. My name is Eric. So, so glad that you're joining us today. There's so many ways to join us. First of all, I want to say welcome to everyone in the room today. Nice job getting here. Uh, hello to everyone that's joining us live online right now. We have so many people. There's some cool conversations happening already online. We also uh, want to say a welcome to those of you that are watching or listening later on in the week. Uh, we are so glad that there are so many ways to gather. And a special welcome to any guests that we have with us today. We have prayed for you. We really want this to be a low-pressure environment for you. And so we've developed a few avenues uh, to serve you and answer any questions that may arise today. In fact, the next few minutes are primarily for you, our guests. And one way that we hope to serve you is by connecting with you. And so we would absolutely love if you would share your information with us. Now, it might sound like that's like a self-serving kind of thing, but actually uh, we, we want to serve you. We would love for you to share information so that we can follow up with you, we can get feedback from you, and figure out ways that we can best bless you. Uh, and so anybody, not just our guests, can uh, update their info or be added to the email list. And there are two ways to do that. Uh, the first of which is by hard copy. So if you can fill out the info card in the pocket of the chair in front of you. And if you do so, if you fill that out, you can put it in the offering box in the back on your way out. But the second way to do that is electronically, electronically. And so if you'd like to complete an info card electronically, you can do so on the Next Steps page of our website. You can check that out. Or by using the Version app or the Bible app. Uh, the Bible app is great. It is super, super useful. Uh, during our gathering time to uh, connect in so many ways. You can follow along. You can take notes. You can even give through the app if you so choose. Uh, you can also make Centerway your church to connect with people uh, that you are in fellowship with right here. Uh, keep up with reading plans, and there's so much more uh, with that app. Um, I already mentioned giving through the app, and of course, we don't expect any of our guests to give by any means, uh, but if you attend regularly and you want to give but you prefer not to use the app, you can use an envelope in front of you and place that in the Senderway offering box, or uh, there's another secure way to give online, and that's by going to the Give tab of our website. Now, uh, this is one of the exciting days uh, in our year. Uh, it's a day that we start a brand new series. We love that here at Centerway. Uh, and the series that we're starting is called Built to Be. Built to Be. You'll hear, be hearing more about that a little bit later. But we are excited to continue our journey through Nehemiah uh, that we began in the fall. Uh, we paused that for Advent, and then we're picking it back up again in chapter 8 today. Uh, if you don't have one from the previous series, uh, there are uh, free Nehemiah journals in the back behind the sound booth. Feel free to grab one even now if you want to. And if you're joining us online, you can shoot us an email and we will happily send you one. Now, we do have resources for this series already, so you can uh, connect and engage throughout the week. We have wallpapers for your phone. We have a Spotify, Spotify playlist so, for you to listen to. Uh, we also uh, have Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that you can subscribe to on the website or by using uh, the card, uh, the info card in front of you. We have social media channels and all of that fun stuff. So you can visit the messages page of the website uh, to access these resources. 
resources and so much more. One of the most important things that we do here at Centerway is connect you to your next step in your journey with Jesus. And so if you're interested in taking a next step in that journey, you can visit the next steps area in the back or that page of our website. And there are a number of ways to do so to continue to learn how to follow Jesus. It's a journey. No one arrives and says, hey, I'm right there. And we're all, we're all able to take another step. And we'd love to help you in that. You can check out the calendar page of our website for upcoming events and activities. There are a few of those as well. Uh, and then one note, especially for our online community this morning, uh, we'll be taking communion here today. And uh, if you would like to participate, you can grab bread or crackers and some juice, emblems and symbolize Jesus's body and blood. You know, the, the actual emblem itself isn't um, sacred. It's the act of joining in communion together. We'll talk about that after in a little bit. So you can take communion with us after the message. Finally, if you have questions, if you have feedback, if you have ideas for us or need prayer for anything, the best way to connect with us is through our email, connect at centerwaychurch.com. Now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Claude is going to be communicating from the Bible. And after he does so, we'll respond to the word by worshiping through singing. I'm excited for today, and I know you're excited today because you're here or you chose to watch, and so we believe that God is going to do something real and incredible in our lives. Can we bow our heads and just ask God's blessing on what he wants to do today? Lord, we are grateful. God, that you are with us. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so today, God, we know that we have the freedom to hear your voice and to know your voice and to respond to that voice today. God, I pray that you would give us the grace to do so. And as you do, Lord, may uh, our lives be changed. May our, our spheres of influence be changed, Lord God. May this world be changed because of your profound and incredible love. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello and good morning. Uh, I had one of those uh, horrifying moments this morning right before coming up here. Uh, I was told by the sound team that I was unmuted. So although you couldn't hear me in the room, the live stream could hear everything that I was saying. Thankfully, I did not go to the bathroom this morning. But could you imagine that just kind of playing out in the most horrible of moments? But I think I just said, uh, let's make sure we turn those lights on so it's not a creepy back room. So... I think that's all they heard. That's good. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Claude. <laughs> my, uh, my wife and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church, and we're excited that you are with us today, uh, specifically those in the room that braved the weather. Uh, you impress us. Um, we are starting a new series, as Eric just mentioned, and uh, it will actually cover the rest of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, if you do not have one of these journals, feel free to grab one even now if you'd like. They're in the back of the room. Um, and uh, as w what we're going to discover as we kind of head into this series is that we've, we've covered the first seven uh, chapters of Nehemiah already, and I'll talk a little bit about how we went through the journey of that. Um, and what, what we're seeing right now is that there's a change in the book taking place at chapter 8. And so at chapter 8, um, we see a focus that's beginning to change. And, and before I talk too much about that focus, I want to mention that uh, the society and the culture that we live in focuses a lot on doing 
a lot undoing. And this series, as we move forward, as you'll see, we're going to focus far more on being. And that, that sounds passive. It sounds uh, awkward, maybe, to some of us. It'll make more sense as we move on through the series. Um, but it's important for you to understand the intent behind it because the title is Built to Be built to be. And you can read the, the series right up on our website, or if you subscribe to our Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, uh, you'll hear more about that as the weeks go on. For the sake of today's talk, um, it's joyful. So if you can put that together, we are built to be joyful, built to be joyful. And uh, this year, is uh, 2024, which seems incredible. I've, I'm not the type of person to be like, I haven't seen you guys for a year. I, I want to be like cheesy like that and say all those things, but they're just, they're too painful for me to even joke about. Uh, whenever a, a new year comes, I'm reminded of moments that I've celebrated at different new years, uh, things that happened in those years, things that I anticipated and planned on and we were excited about going into a new year, like the, the year that we got married. It's like, oh my goodness, and there's this anticipation and um, uh, the, the years that we went into a new year and my wife was pregnant and you're excited to meet that child in this new year and there's all these moments and then there were also moments where I had no idea what the year would hold, Right? And then as the year played on, it was like, oh my gosh, this, this is a devastating year. And you just can't wait till the year is over. You know, I remember going into 2020 being like, this is going to be a great year. And then March came. It was like, what the heck? I, I, probably the most memorable of, of years and what really kind of showed the way everybody's wired at the beginning of a new year was Y2K. Now, if you're too young to remember Y2K in the room, that was when we went from the 1900 year. Like I, I was born back in the 1900s. Everyone's like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, but it, when all of a sudden the, the calendar switched to 2000, everybody thought the world was going to like end uh, because, you know, could our computers handle that, you know, and all of these, it was a big, big deal. And, uh, I can see on your faces, some of you remember it or some of you have no clue, you know, because some people are like, oh my gosh, and others were like, I was four, what are you talking about, you know, I was in diapers, it was powerful. Um, well, where I celebrated Y2K was actually in the basement of someone's home, they had a, they're like, listen, we're just, we're going to have a normal new year, and so just come on over, and so we had a crowd of people just in their basement, they're like, we're not worried about it, we had some friends that were like, you know, stocking bunkers and all that stuff, like everybody was everywhere, and uh, not that you guys remember any of that from COVID, but anyway, he's uh, <laughs> like, I don't know what you mean, so it was kind of one of those years, and uh, we're sitting there, and everybody's counting down, and we're all looking with anticipation, and unbeknownst to the room, one of my friends had decided that it would be really funny if he went into the power room and threw the electricity when, <laughs> when we said one. And, uh, and he's like, tell him, he's like, dude, I'm going to do it. It's going to be crazy. I was like, what if people just lose their mind? What if we just see like family members start killing each other or whatever? And you, you turn it back on and there's a fights going on. And then I was like, wait, what if you turn it back on and it doesn't come back on? And he's like, what? And I'm like, what if, what if you turn it back on and it, and it really is out? He's like, yeah, then I don't know. 
So three, two, one, and it happened. And sure enough, he threw the breaker and it was like chaos. Like there were people that were just like, okay, this doesn't change anything. And then other people that were like, I knew it. Like you could hear them screaming like, I told you. Like, why God, why? Like, what do we do? Is the heat off? Like just all different types of like screaming and yelling and stuff. And then he clicked and turned it back on. Everyone's like, oh, I think we're going to be okay. Um, but it's, it's moments like that. It's moments like that that kind of reveal how people come in to new seasons. The preconceived ideas, the thoughts that they have, their worries, their concerns, their fears, all of it just gets played out when we enter in to new years, to new beginnings, new seasons. You see, new years are simply new seasons and new seasons bring different types of emotions. For some of us, you might be sitting back saying, this is the year. 2024 is my year. What's funny about that, and I wish so often that there was a way that I could kind of like take a snapshot of the room, is because when I say like some of you are like, this is my year, I can see some of you be like, yeah. And then there's others of you that are like, would you shut up? Like, because you're just done with it. Like, it's not anything different. It's just a click of a calendar, you know, and, and you, I can see the reaction on you and whether or not you're reacting within our heart and mind, we all have a response to that. We all have a thought. We have an emotion around things starting. And so the question I want to ask all of us as we head in to this talk this morning is this, why does changing the calendar seem so significant? Why does changing the calendar seem so significant? I already shared a little bit of why it might seem significant. And I also know that you might be tempted, especially if you're one of the eye rollers that this is my year, you might be tempted to say it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. It is not significant. But bear with me. Bear with me because as humans, we all have a reaction to new beginnings. This year for some of us, things are seeming to kind of fall into place. Maybe you're kind of on the cusp of some type of breakthrough or you sense that, you feel that that's the case. Maybe you're starting a new job or this is the year you graduate or this is the year that you get married or this is the year that you have a child or this is the year that you have a grandchild or maybe you're just really excited about this year because it's not last year. (laughs) You're just like, listen, it's not 2023. And so as long as it's not that, I'm good. Let's move forward. The list goes on. For some of us, 2024 is already carrying a sense of anticipation, a new beginning. Maybe for some of you, you set out to determine, I talked to a couple of you about how you started this new year saying, hey, I'm going to do these things different in 2024. And now we're on day seven of that year. And you're like, I haven't done any of it. (laughs) We're already a week in and I've failed across the board. We all have different thoughts about what the year may or may not hold. But for others of us, if you, if you think to the one extreme of anticipation, to the other extreme, the idea of saying this is the year is just like, stop. It's just another year. Or worse yet, it's a reminder to you that your breakthrough might escape you for yet another year. That it might just be as much of a letdown as 2023 was. I know that sounds kind of depressing and ho-hum or whatever, but there's some of us that are in this space, some of us that are listening, that are, that are sitting there feeling the depth of the pain of just 
it's just another month. It's just more of the same. I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't dare believe that this year will be different than the year previous. Maybe you enter this year kind of gun shy, exhausted. You, you sort of stumbled across the finish line of 2023. You can barely catch your breath after the holidays and it just seems like, boom, here's another year. I'm not sure what it looks like, but probably not anything good. I want you for a second to, to maybe risk getting your hopes up and the potential that scripture is true, that God makes all things new, that maybe, just maybe, God is present in the midst of this year, in the midst of today, that maybe you've been brought to this place and maybe you're hearing this message just to give you a little bit of encouragement of the reality that God is still at work. For those of you that find yourselves at either extreme, excited and anticipating or or just kind of frustrated and throwing in the towel or anywhere in between, two things apply to every single one of us. And it's the reasons that a new year seems seems significant, even if you don't want to admit it. The two things are this. One, new seasons cause us all to reflect. A new season causes us to look back. We reflect, we think about it. Are we where we want to be? That's why some of you are anticipating because you're like, yeah, this is the year. And some of you are loathing or brokenhearted or heavy-hearted because you're looking and you're saying, man, I'm taking an assessment and I'm not where I hoped to be. The case is, is the same though. We're all reflecting. We're all looking back on the good and the bad. So new seasons cause us to reflect. The second thing is we all need to learn to be better at being than doing. We all need to learn to be better at being than doing. And that's going to be something that we continue to unfold as we go through this series. And I'm going to begin the conversation today. As much of those things are true for us, those two things are true for us. It was true for the Israelites. In the first seven chapters of Nehemiah, at face value, as I already mentioned, focused predominantly on rebuilding a wall, on rebuilding a city. There was a lot of things that were being built, that were being built. And chapter 8 marks a shift to a spiritual rebuilding, a spiritual rebuilding. So during Advent, we overviewed parts of the book of Ezra. And today, so, so we were in the first seven, if you weren't with us, we were in the first seven chapters of Nehemiah. And then during Advent, we took a break from Nehemiah and we went through an overview of Ezra. And now we're entering in uh, Nehemiah 8 to finish the book of Nehemiah. And what's interesting is we, uh, we see in chapter 8, and this is of course not by accident, but we see in chapter 8 that Ezra now enters the story of Nehemiah. And so we see the Ezra that we studied during Advent now entering Nehemiah's story in chapter 8. And so if we read verse 2 together, and of course you can read, I'm going to cover the entire chapter today. You can read the chapter at your leisure, but I'm going to cover just a couple of verses. Beginning at verse 2, it says, So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, in the first day of the seventh month. So there are a couple things that are important for us to understand as we kind of go through chapter eight. 
When it says that Ezra brought the law, what it means is that he literally brought out in front of the people scrolls to read, scrolls that he would read through. They called this, uh, this text the Torah. They called it the Torah. So he is reading the Torah in front of the assembly. The assembly was all of the Israelites at the then known time. They gather actually at the water gate, which is part of the city of David. And they're gathering. So if you can imagine, it's just people as far as the eyes can kind of see. As he's elevated on a platform according to scripture. And he has scrolls in front of him of the Torah. And he's reading the law in front of the people. Now the Torah is what we call the Pentateuch. The reason why we call it the Pentateuch is it's the first five books of the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So that's what Ezra is reading in front of the people. Those five books of the Old Testament that you can read yourself if you'd like to to read through them. But that's what he's reading through them. So if you can picture in your mind's eye for a moment, everyone's gathered together and they're listening to Ezra read on the first day of the seventh month. That is significant. It's not just the date. Sometimes scripture just gives kind of the date and you're like, oh, okay, duly noted. <laughs> the reason why it's the, uh, the, why it says it's the first day of the seventh month is because this is a specific day in the Jewish calendar. It was to be a day of solemn rest. It was a day known as the festival of trumpets. In fact, the seventh month as a whole was significant. And so the people of Israel would engage in festivals during the seventh month of the year. In fact, if, if you look a little bit more about the, that month in particular, it begins with the festival of trumpets. Then on the 10th day is the day of atonement, which is significant for this story. But it's known as the day of atonement. And then on the 15th through the 22nd day would be known as the festival of tabernacles or the festival of booths. And that would be a day that they would live literally in booths, in in tabernacles that they would build. And it would remind them of God's faithfulness as they traveled through the wilderness so many years ago. And so it was a, a season of festivals that they were going into, but it began with the festival of trumpets. And so it's significant that they're sitting down to hear the Torah. And what we need to remember is the context here. These people have been in exile, so they have not been participating in these festivals. They've been literally prisoners. And so these festivals are, like I mentioned, to celebrate God's faithfulness. And now they've been set free and they're in the midst of freedom and in this city where the, the wall has been rebuilt and, and the city has been rebuilt. And they have all these reasons to be excited about God's faithfulness and they want to re-engage in relationship with him. In fact, a lot of them didn't even know about these festivals. It had been so long that... They weren't able to engage in them, and it's just been lost generation after generation. And so they're on the cusp of a new season. They're excited. They're anticipatory. When the walls are up, Jerusalem is stable. Let's hear the reading of the Torah. In fact, the verse begins with them actually compelling Ezra to read it. It wasn't typical that on the festival of trumpets that the Torah would be read. There's nothing systematic about that. The people actually asked Ezra, would you read the law to us? And so there's this excitement about this new season. It's it's extremely significant. And they're mostly unaware of the significance. Verse 9 goes on and it 
takes a snapshot of what we see as scriptures being read. It says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And then get this. It says, For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Let me explain a little bit what's going on here. For most of these people, it was the first time they've heard Scripture. It's the first time they'd heard the Torah be read. And so they're sitting there and they're listening and they're excited. If you, if you know anything about the Old Testament, they're, they're hearing about creation and God's faithfulness and, and all of a sudden their ancestors, they're excited. And then they begin to hear about the law what it is that God requires of them in order to be relation, in relationship with them. And they hear about their ancestors falling into sin and separating themselves from God and God's punishment. And then God's faithfulness, drawing his people back to them. And you, you can only imagine if you read the first five books of the Old Testament that it had to be this roller coaster of emotion of like, oh my gosh, God is so good. We are so wicked. <laughs> God is so good. We are so wicked. And then thinking, Oh my goodness, we've violated the law. So they begin to look around and they're overcome with sadness. We can't really comprehend what's taking place in our modern perspective because if we want, we can pull a Bible up a dozen different ways. But for these people, copies of the Torah were fairly rare. And where they were present, they weren't very accessible. There was limited access. On top of that, there was a low literacy rate. And then to compound things more, it was written in a different language. In fact, the way this chapter explains things, Ezra would be reading the Torah in sections, in pericopes actually, sections of scripture. He would read them and he'd be reading them in biblical Hebrew. So if you can picture in your mind's eye for a moment that people as far as you can see and Ezra is reading out in Hebrew and there are Levites, which would be the underpriests, the priests that are uh, working with Ezra and they're strategically placed all throughout the crowd in groups of people. And as they hear the Torah being read in Hebrew, they turn to the group that's in front of them and they translate it into Aramaic. So they don't even understand the words that are being spoken from Ezra until the priests turn and repeat it back to them in Aramaic. And then it says that they taught them. So they begin to, to essentially preach to them about the implications of the truth of the Old Testament and the way the law flows out in their life. And these groups and pockets of people, if you can just imagine, all of a sudden weeping and heavy hearts like, oh no, what are we doing? their response is to weep and mourn because they realize that they have broken the law. The progression of the Old Testament goes from stories of their ancestors breaking the law and experiencing the, f the faithfulness of God and the wrath of God and the faithfulness of God. And then in the midst of it, as they begin to hear Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they start to say, wait a second, we're breaking the law. We're in the midst of God's faithfulness. He has set us free from slavery. 
and we are functionally sinning every day, they're overcome. They're in a new season and they're reflecting. It's human nature. They're reflecting, they're giving an account, they're processing the implications of the decisions that they've made and they're heavy hearted. And the response is, we need to do something because that's the human response. What are we gonna do? And then we either do or we don't. <laughs> and we're on day seven of the new year. I won't, take, <laughs> I won't take a quick scan or a raise of hands or anything, but some of us have said we were gonna do some things different and we're on day seven and we didn't. <laughs> some people said that they'd be in church today. <laughs> oh, sorry, was I looking right online just then? I'm just kidding, I'm joking, I'm joking. But, but the fact is we say we're gonna do things and then we don't and then we're broken about what we didn't do. You see, the law shows our inability to save ourselves. The law brings us to the end of ourselves. We start to realize like, oh my goodness, I can't even get past the first of the 10 commandments. Have no other God. It's the first one. We all break it. Okay? Spoiler alert. You're like, well, not me. Yes, you do. In fact, you're just revealing that your idol is your self-righteousness. Whoops. Awkward. So the fact is we all, we all sin. That's the nature of, of the Ten Commandments is that no one gets past the first one. And so we can sit here and we can be broken about that. In fact, some people stop right there. They stop right there and they wrongly think that scripture is just a list of rules. A list of rules that make us feel bad at every turn. That that the Bible is really just a list of stuff that we can't do. That we were made to have fun and God said, no, stop having fun. That's not true at all. In fact, God wants us to live life to the fullest. The way he intended us to live. So the Bible doesn't exist to simply make us feel bad. People that that feel this tension believe that scripture is about what we need to do. And all we can remember is how often we don't. So we say things like, I tried being a Christian, but I couldn't. It was too hard. Like, what? That's a complete perversion of what Christianity is all about. But the default human condition is to say, listen, I do bad, I'll do better. And even when I can't do better, I'm going to come into a room of people, I'm going to sit in rows, and I'm going to act like I'm better. Be like, listen, don't, do not tell anybody what I said in the car. (laughs) Don't. I love the Lord. Yeah. Those famous moments when you're growing up, I don't know about you, we had these things that you could hold to your head, and there was like a, a piece of spaghetti that would come off the bottom. They were called phones. They were attached to a wall. It was crazy. And uh, what was interesting about the phone is there was always a metamorphosis that would take place when someone would grab the phone. My mom would be like, children, shut up. I am Lucifer. You know, and then she'd be like, hello. I was like, how did that happen? How did mommy go from them? (laughs) I'm I'm kidding, mom, relax. They watch online. She's going to be like, why are you picking on me again? (laughs) We're all guilty of it, right? There's a moment like they're screaming and yelling in the house, like everybody, quiet down. Hello. 
Why? Because we need, to, we need to act like our life is put together. We need to put on the right face. We need to, to do right. What about the fact that we're all in the same mess? <laughs> that we're all sinners saved by grace? That we're all actually a hot mess? That we all fall short? Can we just come to a place and be authentic and honest about the fact that we're all a mess and that we're in need of a Savior? Can we risk that? I want to tell you, we have purpose to make Centerway a place where you can risk that. Where we can acknowledge the fact that we're broken, but that we don't have to stay broken. That we don't have to stay in those places. You see, the people that originally read the law here that we're learning about in chapter 8, they had to do. In the midst of their mourning, they realized, you know what? There's something we need to do. They needed to sacrifice. They needed to go and get blameless, spotless animals, and they needed to shed blood for the sins that they committed. They had to engage in the 10th day of atonement to atone for the sins of the fact that they had violated the law. There was something for them to do. It cost them something. They had to be at work. The good news is they could look to that day of atonement. There was an opportunity. There was a a way, a pathway that God had created for them to re-engage in relationship with him, but it required them to do something. And scripture shows us that the day of atonement and the sacrificial system as a whole was actually pointing to Jesus. That ultimately Jesus, the sinless lamb, would enter Jerusalem and would lay down his life as the ultimate sacrifice that he would die the death that we deserve, that he would pay the price, the penalty for our sin so that we could stop focusing on the doing and rest in the being. But it's only in the knowledge of that which has been done. You see, the reality is the law should even to this day drive us to repentance. Jesus didn't dismissed the law. He fulfilled it. He became the sacrifice. And so the law still remains. It's just Jesus has done what is required. So when we sit back and we look at how it is that we have sinned and how it is that we've fallen short and the nature of our sin, when we feel the heaviness and the brokenness, we can turn to Jesus and say, Lord, would you see me as your son? Would you forgive me of my sins because of that which Jesus has done on my behalf? Would you draw me close to you? Could I know your peace and your joy? Lord, will you change my heart? Will you reset my mind? Will you break my heart for things that break yours? Could I be your hands and feet? Lord, would you lead me and guide me? You see, we can have access to the Father because of Jesus, but... Make no mistake, the rhythm of repentance must remain alive in our lives. We need to still mourn our sinful nature. We need to be driven to our knees and realize that the place that we are is not a place to remain. You see, it's in these moments that we can finally see that what Jesus did, we could never have done on our own. He did so we could be. It's because of Jesus' death on a cross and resurrection that atonement is available to us today. 
God's grace and mercy leads us to joy. That's how you get to joy. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. Happiness comes and goes. Some of you guys were, some of you guys were happy on Christmas. Like, oh, I got what I wanted. It's seven days later. You're like, I should open that. Or it's broken. Or where did I put it? Happiness fades, but joy is a fruit of the spirit. Joy is something you can access in the midst of mourning. It sounds counterintuitive, right? But the reality that in the midst of mourning, of heavy heartedness, of being broken, there's a joy that goes beneath to say, listen, I know that God is at work. I don't know how this is going to play out. I'm not okay with the way it's working, but I rest in the awareness that God is here that I am not alone, that he has done that which I could never do for myself. And it's the stability of the truth of the gospel that provides us joy if we access it, if we're aware of it. You see, verse 10 goes on after verse 9, it says this, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, Nehemiah and Ezra are walking people through the process of what it looks like to repent and to be joyful, to be broken by the sinful nature of our lives, realize that there's atonement because of that which God has done, and then walk in the freedom available and be filled with joy. Verse 10 shows us something important that we might miss entirely. And that it's that they are reminded to be joyful. They're reminded to tap in to the joy that's accessible. You know, some of you need to be reminded today that joy is available to you. That you don't have to set up camp in the brokenness. That you don't have to sit there and say, my name is broken. That I live mourned. That, that, that 2024 is just another year of pain and suffering. That there's no way out. This heaviness, it's, just, it's a lie. You don't have to function in fear and worry about what's next and what's coming and what's broken and how you need to fix. No, stop doing and be. And be. Hmm. That goes against every Western <laughs> civilized culture that we have come in, into comfort around and with. We've been raised to do. We are doers. And as Americans, we do better. And we will do bigger. And we will do better. And we will do faster. And you will be impressed. And the world will acknowledge. Watch us do. In the midst of it, it's grown completely cross-cultural with the truth of the gospel that says be. That in fact, if you attempt to do, you will never but it's in being in the presence of God that suddenly you can do out of the abundance of the joy that God provides that you can turn to those that are without and be generous that's what they're saying they're saying the joy of the Lord walk in the joy of the Lord 
and give to others, those that have need. The outflow of joy is to look at somebody and say, I have been forgiven of so much, how could I hold something against you? If you are holding unforgiveness today, you're not walking in the truth of the gospel that's been awarded to you. How dare you say, God, forgive me, but I will not forgive them. My goodness, would, would, would the gospel unroot some things that we have cultured that our family of origin has said, this is acceptable. We hold grudges. It's what we do. We need to remember because they'll forget. But that's not what the gospel says. And so can we function as we enter into this year with an awareness that joy is available, that the joy of the Lord is your strength? That sounds like a very Christian phrase, doesn't it? Like, listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're like, mm, thank you for that. Thank you for, I don't know what it means, but I agree. The joy of the Lord, whoo, it's my strength. So God's happy, I think, and that makes me strong, I think. Is that what that means? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The strength, the word strength here means fortress or refuge. It means source of protection. So the joy that is available in that which the Lord has done is your protection. Think about that. That that being connected in relationship with God because of that which he has done that you could never do for yourself is in fact your protection. It's the garter of your heart, the protector of your mind. So if we put it all together this morning, sometimes in new seasons, in seasons of reflection, we need to position ourselves in gospel-centered community so we can be reminded that when we simply be in God's presence, when we worship the Lord, when we assign worth to him for that which he has done, even maybe in the midst of mourning, it protects us and it fills us with joy. So that as we enter into 2024, as we enter into a new season, whether you think it's significant or not, a new beginning and you reflect on that which you regret or that which you hope for or all of those things, as you're in a season of reflection, would you position yourself in this gospel-centered community and allow us to remind you that it's in worshiping God, which in a moment we will do in song. And it's in the moment where we sing out a song, maybe for the first time, or clap our hands for the first time, or maybe we even dare raise our hands as a symbol of surrender to the Lord. That it's in those moments, the joy that God makes available will begin to protect our hearts, like a healing ointment on our hearts and minds, that we would be filled with joy that maybe even with tears and weeping and repentance, we would come to the Lord and say, but you are good and you are worthy of my praise. We need to be reminded of the gospel. It's our hope. It's our truth. It's our joy. 
There's an African proverb that I'm probably going to mess up, but it goes something along the lines of, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. The essence is basically we do life best in community. But in our individualized society, everybody is saying, listen, you do it. You're independent. You got this. Do, do, do. And you're exhausted. But the gospel says, together, be. What? That's, that's good news. Is that possible? Is it possible that we can be together and just rest in that which God has done? That in the midst of the chaos, in the midst, in the midst of all the expectations, we can just... Okay, God, I trust you. I trust you. Joy is found in gospel-centered community. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And so this week, I want to end with you considering a question as we begin to go into a time of worship. And the, the question that I want you to ask yourself is this, how will I walk in the joy of the Lord? How will I walk in the joy of the Lord? How will I be in God's presence and allow that joy to protect my heart, my mind? And will I risk being known, being loved? This is a safe place for broken people. And so I want to challenge you to risk this year being in God's presence. Let's bow our heads. As we bow our heads, you can um, keep your eyes open if you want, or you can close your eyes. We're actually going to, in a moment, go into a time of response of communion. We're going to start the new year remembering that which Christ has done. And we're going to go into a time of, of song worship. Because worship is obviously many different ways that we can express our love for God. But before we go into a time of communion and, and singing of songs, I want to provide opportunity for response. And I'm not going to make you stand up or you know anything like that. I, I mean personal response. Because maybe you walking in the joy of the Lord begins by you surrendering your life to the Lord. Maybe you haven't risked laying your life before him, asking him to be the Lord and leader of your life. And so today in the the quietness of your own mind right now, there's no special words that need to be repeated. It's an acknowledgement of both your sinful nature and the reality of that which Christ has done. And so wherever you find yourself right now, whether it's online or in this room, if you haven't surrendered your life to the Lord, you can just pray a prayer similar to this, Lord, I'm a sinner but you died for me. You paid the price for my sin. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. It's in the simple prayer, in some version of that prayer, in the quietness of your mind, that you will begin a relationship with our loving Father and walk in the atonement that Jesus provides. 
And so if that's you and you've prayed that prayer today, I would love to have a conversation with you at the next steps area following the gathering. If you're online right now, live, and you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to know that. And so you can click request prayer. You'll go into a private chat with one of our pastors and they'll just explain to you your next steps and agree with you in prayer as you made this decision. If you're watching or listening later on, you can always reach out to us via email or through our website in the next steps area. We'd love to walk alongside you in that decision. For everyone in this space that has crossed that line to make a decision to follow the Lord, I, I want to encourage you to consider what it looks like to walk in the joy of the Lord. Maybe it looks like engaging in community. Maybe it means serving, risking this year, stewarding your gifts, or getting into a circle. We're about to start a circle cycle here coming up. Maybe it means risking being in a gospel-centered community. For others of you, it might mean playing the role of reminder, living on mission and being a person willing to look at others and say, listen, that's the truth of the gospel says this, and to communicate the truth of the gospel to others. And yet for others of us today, maybe the way you walk in the joy of the Lord is to worship, to sing songs of worship, to steward that which God has given you for his glory and to enter into this new year saying, God, you have my time, you have my talent, you have my treasure, all of it, Lord. I worship you with all that I am. Whatever it is, I want you to reflect what it looks like to walk in the joy of the Lord as Eric leads us in communion. There's a, uh, here we go. There's a restaurant in downtown Toronto. It's called Little Anthony's and it's uh, it's in a tucked away little alley near City Hall among some of the largest skyscrapers in North America. And uh, it doesn't look like much from the outside. Uh, It's never one of Michelin star or anything, but it's where I had the best appetizer I've ever had in my life was not really an appetizer. It was more bread. It was warm, freshly baked bread, had uh, Italian oil and rustic pepper dip. uh, And I remember it was just amazing, obviously. Uh, It was a few decades ago, and I could still say, wow, that's amazing. Uh, I turned to my new wife, Deidre, and said, man, this is like the best appetizer I've ever had. If the bread is this good... I can't imagine what the main course is going to be like. And yes, it was amazing for sure. But the communion table is just like that. Uh, It serves as an appetizer of grace here on earth. And it's a reminder to us, a visual reminder of what the word of God declares to us. That Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, was broken on our behalf. And even though we can read it, sometimes we need that reminder, that tangible reminder That, yeah, this isn't just something that's in our heads. This is something meant to drive our hearts as well. It serves to remind us that we will one day participate in what Revelation calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we're united with Christ and we're celebrating his victory around an actual table together. Paul says it this way in Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I passed down to you, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he gave thanks for that bread, and then he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. So can we take, partake together this symbol of the Lord's broken body? We're so thankful, Lord. We're thankful that Jesus would uh, not just provide us a way, an example of how to live, but in his perfection would die the death that we deserve so that his brokenness means our healing today. We thank you for it. Even though Jesus knew it was going to be his last meal with his friends, uh, he enjoyed that meal. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever a covenant was made, blood needed to be spilled in order for the sacrifice to seal it. Jesus' blood means that our blood will never have to be spilled as retribution for the things that we do. Jesus said to drink the cup in remembrance of him. So let's do that this morning. Let's partake together the symbol of the Lord's shed blood. We're so thankful. And we thank you, Lord. And this is just the appetizer to remind ourselves that the main course is on its way, that one day soon that we will be with you forever. Please give us the grace this morning to daily remember that this is our reality. We pray it in Jesus' name. Still in your presence, all the noise has
Oh. 
we can experience the joy that only you make available. That we can declare that you won't, that you won't fail us. It doesn't mean things are going to go our way, God. We acknowledge that, but we know that you'll be present. That you'll be active in our lives. That you walk beside us. Or that you've placed us strategically in this community of believers so that we can link arms and do life together. So Lord, I pray that as we begin this new season, that we would reflect on your grace, on your mercy, that we would reflect not on past failures, but how you have actively redeemed even some of our poor choices and that you have done a work in and through us and that you will continue to do a work in and through us. And so we declare ourselves available and I pray that as we leave this place that we would be sent, God, on mission to be your hands and your feet, that we would be carriers of joy, that we would be people of generosity, that we would reach those that are struggling, those without hope, that we would speak the truth of your gospel over them, Father. We would remind one another that you'd protect us as we go our separate ways and bring us together safely next week. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Eric will be available up here for prayer. If you need prayer for anything specifically, I'll be at the Next Steps area if you'd like to talk to me. If you're a guest and we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. Uh, Otherwise, we will see you next week as we continue in the series. You're not going to want to miss it. It'll be great. God bless you as you go.